Welcome to the Break the Chains, Find Your Flame podcast. My name is Steve Wopolinik. I'm a licensed mental health counselor and one of the founders of the Promethean Project. Our guests are people who have broke the chains of their limitations and found the strength of their potential. We offer their stories as inspiration and as guidance to help others navigate their quest to find their flame. As always, I am your host, Steve Opolinik. Today we have a really special guest, Dr. Rob Robinson. I first met Rob at Springfield College. He was one of my professors in my graduate program for mental health counseling, specifically about couples and marriage therapy. Over the years, I've gotten to know Rob a little bit more. He reached out to me and asked me if I'd want to work at his group private practice. I met with him and I accepted the position and over the last four years I've been working closely with him. I consider him a mentor, a friend, and just an overall sage when it comes to mental health and counseling. This episode is really special because in the midst of the pandemic we got to meet over Zoom, obviously, and talk about how to build resilience, what the key factors are for resilience, how to build those factors, and then how that relates to mental health moving forward. So it's a really special episode. I I, I think there's some really good quality here. I am going to put a link in the show notes to a 15-minute video that Rob did specifically about resilience if you want to check that out. But I hope you enjoy this episode because it was really fun to do. And Rob has some really interesting insights on how thought manifests behavior and emotion. So without further ado, here's Dr. Rob. In a world where humanity's potential is imprisoned and locked away, our only hope is to break the chains and find our flame. I think the introductions are the cheesiest because we've already been talking and, and now I have to do an introduction, but welcome <laughs> Dr. Rob Robinson. Thank you so much for, for being on the podcast. Yeah. Great to see you, Steve. Uh, Rob, you, you and I know each other, but can you give me a little introduction for our listeners to, to kind of talk about who you are and what your passions are? Sure. Uh, so basically, I mean, I'm, I've been uh, involved with uh, family care counseling associates for probably, I don't know, over 40 years now. Um, and, uh, you know, before I, before I went into private practice full-time, I used to work for the uh, RCA uh, Education and Human Services Division, and we kind of managed Job Corps centers around the country. So nice. I was involved at Westover Job Corps Center for about 10 years, but it was always trying to build a private practice along the way, and then eventually uh, went full-time. And then um, out of that Came a family care counseling associate. So I, 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 you know, it's been a great experience. I mean, met a whole bunch of great people along the way, like yourself, and have had the opportunity to work with some great, great individuals. And we've had a, you know, it's been a good run. So uh, 
yeah, we're doing well. I and mean, of course, we had to make all these adjustments with these recent changes, but I think things are, you know, the teleconferencing has allowed us to stay involved with people and to help them out. So that was a good move. Yeah. And I, and I think, I think what we're seeing too, with the telehealth stuff, I think it, it makes a lot of sense, especially for um, people who are struggling to, to get to places or people who may not have rides to get to places or, or whatever it is. Right. And so that's pretty good. Um, yeah. It's been great. What, uh, so what is your background? So we, we mentioned, so you mentioned some of uh, what you're doing now in your private practice, but you're a doctor, right? Yes. I mean, I, I have, I, you know, I, 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 I've been in the counseling psychology academia all through my uh, college career. So I've, I've got a bachelor's in, in uh, psychology and then master's in counseling psychology and a PhD in counseling psychology with a specialization primarily in uh, systemic marriage and family um, relationships. I'm, I'm, I'm a fellow now because I'm so ancient. Um, <laughs> <laughs> How many years do you have to have to get the fellow? I, you know, I, I, I don't know when they, when they, when they renewed my dues, um, <laughs> when <laughs> dues, I, I suddenly noticed I was no longer a clinical member. I'm a, I'm a fellow. So oh, I, wow. th- I think that's reserved for guys that have been around for so long. That, <laughs> you know, but uh, a, a fellow in the American association for marriage and family therapy. And, um, so I, I mean, I really love working with couples and families, uh, primarily. I mean, I do a lot of individual work, but I think it's just, it's just more dynamic, I think, when the more more people you have around. So, yeah, I would I would definitely agree with that. Doing some couples and family work, it seems like I feel like doing individual. Sometimes the the first couple ones are are really hard because you're like, okay, how do I get information out of this person to to help them get where they need to be? And, but with couples and and family, I feel like okay, let me strap in because <laughs> this <laughs> from the beginning, let's go. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and, and I think the other thing, too, in terms of my background, I mean, I have um, I had the opportunity to, to uh, learn under Martin Seligman that, and that positive psychology experience right. back about, uh, 10 or 15 years ago and did that for six months at the University of Pennsylvania. That was amazing. And I'm I'm um, also uh, I'm now in the middle of the level two uh, Gottman training program for uh, Gottman therapists. So I'm That's hoping. A- able That's to knock awesome. that off hopefully by the end of June. It's, it's, it's pretty, enga- it's pretty involved, but yeah. uh, they're great. I mean, the Gottmans are great teachers and the, the course that the, the course they have set up on their website is amazing. So it's very easy to use and tremendously informational. So I'm, I really enjoy doing that. It's just obviously trying to find the time to do it all the time. Yeah. I, I think that's the biggest thing with the, the kind of work we do is you have to kind of stay present and always keep learning and you're always drawn to like different aspects of things. So like, Oh, if, right. I, if I marry this with this, that would make the perfect combination. But then you're also seeing clients and also speaking and also doing these other kind of things. Yeah. Uh, and you know, it, it can be expensive. I've been wanting to do like somatic experiencing training for forever, just because I'm, I'm so connected to that kind of philosophy. It's like, sure. When do I have the time? <laughs> when do I really have no, the time? No, I mean, it, you're right. I mean, there's, there's, it's, you know, it's kind of cool in one way because there's all kinds of different diverse things going on. And uh, I, I kind of like that because it's not just always one thing. Mm-hmm. But, you know, to your point, um, it, it, you got to have the time and it does cost money. I mean, the Gottman stuff is, you know, that's never cheap. Um, but no training program really is when you know those, those more engaged long term things. 
Yeah, and the ones that are, you probably don't want to sign up for. <laughs> yeah, oh, right. man, I could do mindfulness training for like $15 and get a certificate? Okay, let's do that. No, right. probably not the best program to, to kind of sign and up. And I had, the other thing too is, I, I forgot about this. I mean, over the last couple of years, um, I've also worked as a consultant with the Health 401k um, Wellness um, Corporation and business that we, we've been uh, you know, just going around the country doing, you know, wellness workshops for com- companies all over the country. So it's been great. That's been, re- that's kind of shut down now as a result of uh, what's mm-hmm. happened. But, um, you know, that's still been um, a great experience. We created a lot of great training programs and materials, and we're hoping to be able to, you know, jump up on the bandwagon at some point when this whole thing uh, clears up a little more. Yeah, so- I think, I think that's so important is that when we think of wellness or, or we often think of physical wellness, um, training but also mental wellness and and really the two are the same thing right i've always the mind body connection is always something that gets thrown around but also it's like do we even need that because the mind it's housed in your body it's all connected there's all these messages going to it so it's an interesting concept of you know when you look at it is you i mean we could probably talk about this forever but (laughs) (laughs) But like even looking at like your heart has its own nervous system like that's no, I mean, it, it, it is, it, it is intimately interwoven. And, um, you know, they, I, a guy who talked a lot about that was Herbert Benson, the cardiologist. He's written so many books about that, but that, and actually the, just that whole relaxation response and how, um, the mind can inform what the body's all about. I mean, that, that was the foundational underpinnings of the, uh, mind body medical Institute at Deaconess hospital right. in Boston when it was Deaconess hospital, but, yeah, I mean that's it's 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 an amazing it's an amazing field, and so, there's so much so, so much great stuff out there about that. Nice. So let let me throw out there. Uh, Rob and I will probably reference how we know each other. Rob was actually one of my professors in my master's program at Springfield College. Shout out to Springfield College, um, which I know you're a huge fan of because I think a lot of the counselors we have at Family Care Counseling associates are pretty much Springfield grads, right? There's a lot. We do have a lot of them. It's amazing. You know, it never intended to start out that way, but every, I, they, they were such great students and great people that, uh, you know, it just turned out to work out very well. But yeah, there's quite a few. Yeah. And I remember taking your class um, and specifically you were talking about your practice and in my head, I was like, oh, that'd be really cool to work at his practice one day. And it just kind of flitted out of there. Uh, <laughs> Because I think after I graduated, I went right to Boston because that's um, where my girlfriend at the time was, was working. So we went, yeah. um, who's now my wife. So if she's- Oh, there you go. This, like, <laughs> so that worked it was out worth, well. It was worth the move to Boston, <laughs> maybe just a little bit. No, you were um, a very good student, as I recall, Stephen. Yeah, I think I, I think I made videos for projects because I didn't want to do, do certain things. Um, and then come to find Rob uh, outreached to me on LinkedIn. Right. On, I think an anniversary of a job I was working. Um, it was like three years at that job. And he's like, hey, by the way, I have an opening. Uh, do you want to talk? And I, I yeah. still, to this day, I talk to your wife about it all the time. I was like, that was such a baller move that Rob did. It was just like, hey, congratulations on working here. But you want to work here. And so, and so I, I, was, I talked to my wife and I'm like, yeah, let's definitely talk. Let's, and yeah, no, it worked out great. We were very happy to have you come on board, boy. So it's been awesome. Yeah. So um, again, I think we could go so many ways with this. We could do a sure. whole session on Gottman. We could do a whole session on just yeah. the intricacies of counseling and what you've learned through 
having your own practice, but I think one of the things you, you put out there recently, um, probably once this whole uh, quarantine thing started happening, probably that first week or second week of it, was yeah. a 15 minute video of, of about resilience in this, this time period. And I'm going to put it in the show notes. So when the podcast comes out, people can check it out. Oh, great. Um, Thank you. So, so that way they can kind of get the, cause you reference a couple um, things to check out specifically authentichappiness.org, which I think. Yeah. That, yeah. Awesome. It's a great website. Great website. You know, when I saw that video, I was like, why do I know that website so well? And then I remembered you had us check out authentic yeah. happiness in, in class. And I remember going, yeah. I was like, there's so much, so many resources that I forgot. It really about. is. And now I'm They're like, really yep, great, I'm going to spend yeah. like a night just going through authentic happiness. No, that's a, it's a great resource. A lot of great instruments and tools and great material there. So what kind of drove you to do the resilience? I mean, obviously resilience is this idea of staying strong in the face of adversity or bouncing back from a huge negative impact that happened. Mm -hmm. uh, but what, when you were sitting down thinking about what you were going to do, what drove you to speak specifically about that? Well, you know, first of all, my first my first introduction to resilience as a as a psychological topic was actually during that whole training program with Martin Seligman um, at the University of Pennsylvania, and um, I became familiar with the material that Karen Rivich created. Karen Rivich is a, a resiliency, I guess, uh, architect and research specialist. I mean, she's written a number of books. Um, on resilience. And I, I was fascinated by it because I think that, you know, it, resilience is something that actually can be learned, if you will. Not everybody is uh, born with the same degree of resiliency. And, you know, a lot of that is um, certainly the genetic influence that we have and the neurophysiological, you know, background that we have or our makeup plus, you know, our histories. But right. the, the interesting thing, and, and I think what Rivich was great at is she, she was able to identify factors resiliency factors that actually um, help people become more resilient if they know about them and they learn them. Um, for example, impulse control, uh, learning, to be, learning to be more prudent and, and not, not be reactive, but proactive. Obviously, people who tend to be more reactive, um, there can be a lot more wear and tear because um, people are not stopping and thinking necessarily about what they're doing enough. Um, and like optimism was an, it's a huge resilience factor. And people who tend to be optimistic, meaning that when they run into adversity and they run into like the challenges we're having now in our society with the COVID and all the other stuff, I mean, um, resilience, resilient people have this knack of being able to see things as being temporary, not permanent, and they don't lose sight of the fact that there are many other things in their life that are still positive in spite of this challenge. Right. And optimism, obviously, it was Seligman's Ballywick. I mean, he studied that his entire career and his count, countless studies and countless um, books on that. But optimism is, is a, is a immune system strong. I mean, that, that outlook actually makes your immune system stronger and optimists live seven to eight years longer than pessimists do. So I, I got fascinated by that. And I thought that that would be a good video to put out there, just given the challenges that we were all faced, especially back in March when this whole thing went down. 
And I just wanted people to know that you can actually test on that authentichappiness.org website for your, they call it the grit survey, but it gives you some indication about how much resilience you have, at least initially. And then you can test for optimism and things like that. And I think we talk about a number of other factors that are related to that. But I thought that was a big one to put out there so that could could have the tools they, that they could learn so they didn't crash and burn during all of this because uh, it, it it has been stressful for sure. Yeah. And let me run through some of the other ones. Yeah. You'll hear about it. We won't bore you guys to death because I want you guys to watch the video. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so seven, seven main factors. You mentioned the grit survey and the optimism test. And then you said emotional control, impulse control. Uh, right. Having an open mind, like in yoga, we talk about beginner's mind or, or yes. mindfulness. Right. Not feeling like you always have to be the expert or you have to be right all the time. That's exactly Optimism, right. Self-esteem, empathy, and then the ability to reach out. Right. Yeah. I mean, the empathy piece, I think, is really critical because um, you can make life a lot more challenging if, <laughs> if, you, if, if you go around making... Uh, bad reads about how people are feeling and, and also making um, bad reads on, on, on how you might make others feel. And I think that people who have a lot of empathy tend to be able to navigate life in a much less stressful way and therefore their resilience is stronger. And, you know, reaching out, for example, the last one you mentioned, reaching out is huge because um, to your earlier point about, you know, we don't have all the answers and um, being able to ask for help and being able to seek advice from others with an open mind, like you had mentioned, is, 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 is key. I mean, why, why carry around? I mean, how can you possibly be right about everything? And why carry around the weight of the world on your shoulders when you can ask for help and assistance? And, you know, as Karen Rivich said as well, that reaching out had another meaning, which is, you know, kind of reaching outside your comfort zone. Right. Kind of getting outside your comfort box so that you can you can reach out and actually experience growth because it's outside that comfort zone that we have the most growth. So um, that it really had two meanings, but yeah, I like that. Material. Uh, I, I got a, I got a couple of points. One, it's really, sure. it's really hard to always be right. Let me just put that out there. I, I know from experience, <laughs> no one talked to my wife about it because she'll throw water on that flame. I just put out there. There you go. Um, two, I, I do like the fact that you pointed out reaching out is actually, twofold right like reaching out to ask for help but also reaching outside of your comfort zone because it's been shown that's the only place change actually occurs that's exactly right, right steve and i mean that's that's so that's so true right i mean and 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 that can be really scary for a lot of people yeah i think it has to be sensible reaching out not not like foolhardy <laughs> but um but you're right i mean i think you know like like for example i mean you're you're a big exercise enthusiast right so what is yeah. exercise do exercise makes it hard on your body right but through that pain you know you gain and um, through through taking risks that are calculated uh, we actually learn a lot about ourselves and we learn a lot about what we're capable of and even if we make mistakes I mean that's still useful and that's still informative and uh, so reaching out is a great way to experience uh, personal growth yeah and I think uh so I like, I like uh, wordplay. I like puns and, and you know, acronyms. I think a lot of counselors and people in mental health really like acronyms. Yes. Um, but, you, you know, that idea of failing is being learning, like first attempt in learning. 
is, is something I think is really important to impart to people is because all of this stuff is taking a chance, like opening up to being vulnerable, taking a chance to see if something will work. And even if you're really anxious or depressed or mad, it's hard to do that because you're safe in that, that kind of bubble of those things, even though it may really suck or, you know, you may be terrified or, or you may not like where you're at. It's still something you've known because chances are you've had that for years and it's, it's the pattern in your brain and in your body. Right. To change that super scary because you have to say, okay, here's everything I'm, I'm talking about that I need to change it. Here's everything. I'm acknowledging these limits that I have. And I want to make a difference, but what if I fail or what if I do it and nothing changes? Right. And so like the mind is really protective and it kind of is like, well, why don't you just know, stay with what you know, instead of pushing forward. But the trouble. Yeah, is, no, no question. I mean, that's not such going a anywhere. <laughs> great, great point. And you know, you're right. I mean, people, you know, based on people's histories and again, physiologies, I mean, risk taking can be something that is really, really tough for people. Right. right. And you learn, um, you know, you learn to be helpless, I guess, in some respects, and it's safer mm-hmm. in many regards, but, but, but that's not a place of growth. And it, it, it certainly can perpetuate uh, negative energy and negative feelings. So change that one has to really reach out and, 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 and think of ways that, you know, yeah, I'm, I'm afraid, what am I afraid of? But, you know, even if I fail, I'm going to learn something. Right. So it's, it's, there's, there's just, there's this great growth and, and, you know, putting yourself out there a little bit and getting out of the comfort zone. So it's good stuff. And I mean, so what would you say, because I'm sure you get this all the time, great, great points about emotional control, impulse control. What would you say to like someone who's looking to build resilience or even parents who are trying to build resilience in their kids or their family through this practice who say, Hey, yeah, good, good seven things, but how am I supposed to get my kid to do this? Or how am I actually supposed to work on impulse control? Like, where do I start? And because I do think that the second part of reaching out of your comfort zone, is it's overwhelming to look at where you're trying to aim for and where you're at. Sure. So what, would, what would you say, maybe not for each one, but some starting steps for, for gaining some support on, on some of these things? Well, for example, I like impulse control, I think can be taught, right? All of these things can be taught. Everyone, yeah these things has its own set of skills that can be learned. And like impulse control, for example, I think one of the things that we can teach children about impulse control is to embed the, you know, the the four words of stop, breathe, think, and choose, right? Mm -hmm. So, um, and so when we, I mean, when I was working with children a lot, um, I would often have you know, that kind of little poster made to put in the kid's room or on the refrigerator. So, you know, especially if there was an impulsivity issue where we're practicing how to stop, catch ourselves, take a couple of deep breaths and calm down and think, and what I'm about to do, what's going to happen? And then, you know, choose the right move. And, you know, it, it's, it happens and fits and starts, but eventually if, if the parents are committed to a process like that, and embedding that message with a child, it's amazing how that little stop, breathe, think, and choose tool can work at really getting kids to be much more thoughtful before they, they do something. And, it, and, and at the same time, you can use that to build empathy because you can stop and think, and what I'm about to do, how is this going to make this other kid or this person or my parents or myself feel? And so that has 
a number of different uh, trajectories that you can kind of build on with that little simple tool. Yeah, I think that's great because it also gives you that time to read the situation, read the facial responses, see how, where it's gearing, geared towards and how things kind of go. Um, right. And, and, you know, the other piece of the on emotional control too, I, I, I love the, the tool and often have used this, you know, with kids and adults, it's, um, you know, it's the simple little concept, but a, such a power that how we think affects how we feel and behave. Right. right. So everything starts with thought. So, you know, the basic anxiety management tool, you know, what are you telling yourself about that? And what's another thing you could say that may help you feel less afraid or less anxious. And that is all about the, you know, the ABCs, you know, the right. Act, right? The belief about the activating event, yeah. ultimately the consequences of that thought. And we, we think that the event creates the action, but it's really the thoughts and how we look at things. And, you know, your point about reaching out and creating change, I mean, the state of mind we're in, is the filter through which we see things. And we tend to externalize those things and think that you know we're made to feel badly by the things that are happening out there, when really it's, it's a projection of our state of mind and we're actually getting, it's a mirror showing back what we're feeling and teaching right. everybody really about how everything starts with thought is so powerful as a way of you know, changing emotions and then eventually changing behavior. Yeah, and uh, one of the things I, um, was recently talking about with someone was this idea of meditation and, and mindfulness and, and how people always think, well, you know, if I was alone in a monastery, yeah, I'd have time for this and everything would be perfect. But in reality, when you, when you do that, it, it's like, no, it, it's not necessarily about everything around here. It's about that internal voice. And so that's a hard concept for people to think about because they think, well, you know, if I was in a bubble, I, I'm like, eh, not quite. <laughs> it's, it can be, you know, stuff going around you, but it's also how you think about it, how you perceive it and, and where that leads you. You know, you know, I think that's, it's a really powerful thing you're bringing up right now. And one of the, one of the resources that I frequently use, and I'm sure you're familiar with it too. Um, it's called a Course in Miracles. You've heard of that book. I've right? heard of it. I haven't checked it out. Yet. Yeah, it's it's an amazing. It's, you know, it's, it's definitely worth reading. Um, and they have they have um, they have they have um, smaller versions of the book that kind of pull some of the salient features because the book is really unbelievable. But like for example, like a book called Accept This Gift mm -hmm. are are some of the highlights from A Course in Miracles. But one of the things I love about it is. The, the Course in Miracles defines miracles as a transformation in perception. So, you know, at one point, we may not be aware of how our thinking, for example, is affecting how we feel and we behave. But if we stop and bring awareness to that process, right. well, there's an opportunity to transform that thinking into some other, some other perceptual take that then opens up entire vistas and changes everything. And that, that, that change in perception, that transformation in perception, by definition in A Course in Miracles, is the miracle. Right. And, and when you think about it, I mean, awareness is the key. You know, not, not going through life kind of never being aware of how we're actually impacting our own mental well-being. I mean, not, not often do people stop and think, what am I telling myself about that? But when you stop and ask that question, now we're changing that into awareness. 
awareness. And now there's an opportunity to begin making change and choices. And I think that's, that's the power of, of, of our higher being, if you will. You know, thought is not the upper tier. There's one more stage, and that's the ability that we have as humans to look at what we're telling ourselves about stuff, the higher right. consciousness, if you will. Right. So I, I, love, I love talking about that, and I love that kind of stuff because it's so transformational. It's so powerful. It, it's super powerful. And I think people get lost in the weeds of like, oh, you said miracle. You said high, higher being. That's, yeah, yeah. You know, that's woo-woo stuff. Or even like when you talk to someone about affirmations or mantras or things of these nature, they're like, oh, so repeating this and it to myself is going to be magical. I'm like, no, it's neuroscience. <laughs> yeah, exactly <laughs> neuroscience. Right. It's right? like you have repeating things. Your brain starts opening new neural pathways because it's elastic. So it's able to do that. And you pair that with an emotion right there. Now you have a new Absolutely. pathway of thinking. Right? You know, and, that, and that's, that's such a, a powerful point, right? That whole process of neuroplasticity and how, how thinking something over and over again can actually create circuitry ar around that thought pattern. Right. But that's how learning takes place, right? We're, we're learning new things that actually rewire the brain and so on a molecular neurophysiological level, you're actually influencing the neurophysiology, uh, even though you can't see it, but that's yeah. what's happening. And that's how habits change and how thinking patterns change and how they become embedded in a much healthier way. But you know, people are sometimes not patient and you have to really practice that stuff, right? No, yeah. Like that goes back to your point, I think, when we're talking about the resilience factors and, and parents and kids and you know, our, our own internal dialogues of, of what's going on is when you work with them, you know, I often say like, look, this, if, if you're coming in with your son who has ADHD, it's not just me and your son who are meeting, it's me and, and the family, it's me and you. And sometimes it's individual because you all affect each other. Right. And absolutely. Your son is not only my client. Like he might be the one that we bill insurance on, but you guys are also my client because if you're not approaching things in, in a certain way, he's never going to form that ability to change and vice versa, right? Like if you're reacting all the time to him, you know, there's all, we could gain, yeah. but, but, no, but, like I think, but I think that's a very powerful point, right? So when you, when you do family therapy or you're working with family systems, right? You have so many entry points and all you have to do, well, I don't want this to sound easy because it's not. <laughs> oh, yeah, are, just do this. There, there, there are very embedded patterns. And, uh, but, but, you know, you can tinker with any aspect of that system and change someone's response pattern or bring awareness to how their, their behavior is affecting something. And then that one person makes a consistent change. The entire system begins to re-regulate itself. Right. You know, it's kind of cool. So what happens on a neurophysiological level in neuroplasticity also happens in a relationship level systemically in families. It's kind of the whole reprocessing just by virtue of the, the new pattern of behavior. So cool, man. I, I, it really is. I love it. it. It's, it's so intriguing because it just it just expounds out, right? Like, hey, the way these neurons interact is also how families interact. And, and let's figure this out. Um, but Oh man, I lost my thought. Ah, we'll come it's back. It's all right. Great <laughs> stuff, though. I, you, you, I mean, I just love talking about this stuff because no, so it, it, it's great because I think you know, in my own life, when I tell people I'm a therapist, there's a there's a couple things that happen. They get really defensive at first, um, 
or they'll take a look at me and they're like, what, what are you talking about? Um, <laughs> and, and then secondly, it's kind of like, you know, like I've had a cousin say to me before, that's not real. Like that's not, that's not a science. And, and I actually, like my wife's joke for me is because she, she worked at children's hospital and has a background in forensic science. She, she used to joke, you're like, oh, you mean the, the pseudoscience that you do? It was like a comparison <laughs> about what we did. Yeah. Um, but like, it's not, yeah, it's not a legit field. <laughs> <laughs> but like this idea that like, oh no, you, you know, emotions aren't real. Like this talk stuff, it's not real. And it's like, well, it's real, but also it's, it's integrative, right? So it's like, yeah, we, we talk, but we also have to expound it out. We have to make it part of what we do. So even meditation, like I get a lot of people say, hey, you wanna learn meditation? I'm like, okay, I'll, t- I'll teach you meditation. Uh, but it's a discipline, right? Sure. So you gotta practice it. Oh, absolutely. They'll do no it once question. and they'll say, well, it didn't, didn't work. Like, yeah. You know, that, that's, I think that's, I mean, you're right though, Steve. I mean, I think that's like anything that you, anything that involves wanting to change, it does take a commitment and it does take practice. Um, it does take work. Yeah. And uh, so, but, but, and, but that's true. I think when you practice and you work hard at something, you know, then you, you reap the benefits of that effort and that's where the change takes place. And that's why I think, you know, therapy is not usually a one and done deal. Right. Um, it, it usually takes a number of visits for that that change dynamic to be embedded and to encourage people to make, like we said, step out of the box and and then give themselves some time to see the changes that they can affect in their lives. But yeah, it takes practice and it is work. There's no question. Yeah, it's like, it's like anything. Like if you break your leg and you go for surgery, I mean, you have to go to rehab and you got to work your way back. Um, you know, it's, it's challenging, but you know, you can get better and better and better. The more you practice things like meditation or awareness of thinking and emotional control and impulse control and stepping outside the box and all that stuff. Yeah. And I think, I think when talking with kids, it's also hard to, to get some of these greater things down to like where they can kind of do it. So sometimes we have fun with, with how we do it, right? Like impulse control with, with like sitting with an itch or having their, their parents say, okay, like, can you move your tickle spot? Right. So that, (laughs) you know, like it's not quite what we're talking about, but it's very similar to like, how do you build that tolerance in that moment so that you don't react and you can build on that from small things and and really looking at the small everyday things you can do and, and then bringing in some of the bigger things you can do with, with like those questions of what am I telling myself? And, and you know, you know, I'll tell you, you just reminded me of something too, working with children and going back just for a moment to that authentichappiness.org site. Um, there's a, in that site, there's, I, I, I love working with signature strengths. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so often we see children, for example, who maybe struggle in school or they might have some learning challenges or there might be something, um, that they've, they've experienced that certainly makes them feel inadequate. Um, and, and what I love on that site is there's, there's a children's version of the signature strengths survey. And what I, what I would do with kids is I'd have them take that, that, that signature strength survey and they'd get a printout of their top five character strengths, even as kids, right? And then the homework assignment would be, um, each day, 
picking one of their top five strengths and somehow deploying it or using it for some purpose and then to take the journal about it. And, and then, you know, it's amazing when, when kids take that scale, who, especially kids when I'm talking about who really discouraged and really don't get a whole lot of feedback about the good things that they have and the strengths that they have. It's, it's, it's a transformation in perception just to think, wow, I have these strengths. And then teaching them how to use those strengths as their gifts that can make them feel even better and to, and to create change around them. So that, that's a beautiful tool on that authentic happiness yeah. site that kids can use and to learn about the good things about themselves. And for parents to let, you know, the parents see the kids' results and they say, wow, that's amazing, right? So they right. begin to perceive the child having these gifts rather than, you know, the weaknesses or sometimes like this embedded negative thing that we can begin to tell ourselves about, you know, one another in life. Yeah, I, I think that's good because it's, it's a really good concrete tool to use for, I'm taking notes. <laughs> like, oh, no, 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 it, it's great. But it's a, it's a really it. concrete tool to use for self-esteem when you think about it. Because when you talk about self-esteem, so many people are like, well, how do I build my self-esteem? I feel so negative about myself. How do I do that? And a lot of times people want this concrete thing and it doesn't right. necessarily always translate, but this is like, Hey, well, first take this test. So you don't even have to think about what your strengths are. It tells you, it tells you what your strengths are. It does. And it, then it gives now you, it you does. use them. A- absolutely. It's, it's, and again, it's, it's, it is transformational in that there's an open, uh, an opening into the idea that, wow, I have, I really do have these gifts. And, um, you know, that that's transformational for someone who, you know, because I think self-esteem in its, in, in its simplest form is the relationship that we have with ourselves in thought. So right. how we go around thinking about ourselves all day is, is going to have a profound impact on our destiny. And when we start beginning to embed much more positive messaging that, it, that is scientifically accurate about some of these character strengths. Not pseudoscience. I mean, right. Yeah, exactly. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, this has been researched. We actually have research on this. <laughs> That's really what's cool about positive psychology because the whole the whole field of positive psychology was based not theoretical books, but actual actual research that that informed that whole branch of, of psychology, which was yeah. really cool. That's why they have so so many good resources because they've used it in, 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 in so much that they do. Exactly. That's awesome. All right, Rob. So I have a couple of questions I always uh, end the podcast with just to yes. kind of get, get your point of view. Um, but before that, I have one that I haven't used before because it's, it's really just directed for you. Um, so obviously not breaking any HIPAA violations or anything like that. But what is one of the, well, two questions. What is one of the most common questions you get asked in session and then about therapy and counseling? And then the second one is, what is probably one of the weirdest questions that you've ever been asked before? <laughs> um, I'll tell you what, I'll tell you, if I had to pick the most common question, uh, and you know, it's, it's interesting because people, when they ask this question and it's asked quite a bit, they ask in humor, but there's also anxiety. Yeah. That question usually is, is there hope for me? You know, yeah. And you know, it 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 comes up so much, especially in first visits. 
um, where people kind of describe why they're there. And then in a nervous kind of way, they say, so is there hope for me? And uh, so, you know, people carry around this anxiety about, can I change? And, you know, that, that's a very, very common question. And of course, the answer is absolutely. Right. Um, the most bizarre question. Wow. Hmm. I'd have to, th- I, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm stumped there a little bit. I'd have to think. There's so many years and I'd have to. <laughs> the most bizarre question I've ever had asked of me. Um, you know, Steve, I'd have to think about that. Okay. Yeah, we'll we'll spend the we'll we'll All right, maybe the it, next it might pop into my head as we're continuing yeah. the other questions. I think my most common one is because I, I work with like a lot of younger kids. It's actually from the parents and they're like, So how long is it gonna take? Like how many sessions yeah. do you think this is gonna be? <laughs> I don't I, I don't know, know, right? That's a big one. <laughs> That's a big it one. It is. And then I don't know if the I think one of the not bizarreist, but like a weird question I got one time was um not weird, but but something that kind of struck me from out of left field. I had a, I had someone who's like, so like, where do I compare to like your other clients? Yeah, right. Like, I know you probably see people who like are hallucinating or who are, are suicidal, but like, where do where do I fit in? And is that good with that I fit in there? <laughs> <laughs> and it, it, like very very like cerebral on and and then it kind of talked about it got deeper into just like mental health in general. So it actually led to a really good session, but it it was, it's just funny to see how people have this internal dialogue and how it manifests. Like, how do I use this session? Like, and so for yeah. that client, it was very, they yeah. want, no, those are, those are very, you're right though. Those are really common questions. You know, yeah. we're always kind of trying to categorize ourselves and see where we fit into the scheme of things. And I think when someone shows up for a counseling session for the first time in their life, you know, they they, there's a lot of angst about, you know, so how bad is this and how bad am I compared to other people? And, you know, is there hope for me and all this other stuff you can see that there's a lot of anxiety, but I think um, those are really common. Yeah. I think, um, Oh, I, I did have one person who, who didn't really understand what kind of um, therapist I was. And they came, <laughs> they came in and were like, yeah. So like, how do we do this physical therapy thing? I'm like, I'm not a physical therapist. They ended up staying on, but it, it was kind of like a, a weird. You know, now that you, now we're talking, I have to. I, I do have one funny story to share. Um, when I first started in private practice, I worked at um, at Family Care Medical Center, and um, so I didn't have a business staff. I was by myself in those days, and so the people who were coming to see me were also people, the medical patients that were sitting in the uh, waiting room, and so. <laughs> So I went down to the waiting room. It would be my, my office was kind of in the back and I'd walk down the hall and go out into the waiting room and say the person's first name. And I, I said to this, I said, Diane. And, you know, Diane got up and came back down to the office and closed the door. And the next thing I know, she's taking off her clothes. <laughs> <laughs> I said, um, actually, you don't have to do that. This, uh, you're here for the counseling? Oh, no, 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 I'm here for my physical. <laughs> <laughs> That's a great one. I like that. That's perfect. Yeah. So that, uh, you know, so that, that ended the session very quickly and then yeah. we to the right place. And then I went down and got the other Diane <laughs> who's actually there for, for counseling. But uh, yeah, if I, we, if we had time to 
sit around and shoot the breeze, we probably could come up with some unbelievable stuff. Oh, I'm sure. That's really funny, though. Um, <laughs> all right, two last questions for you. Sure. Uh, they're kind of up my avenue, so we'll see, see how you respond. So they're, they're in tandem. So the first is, if you had any superpower that you wanted, what would it be and why? And the second question is, what do you believe your superpower is? Yeah, that, I love those questions. I mean, the first, the first thing that comes to my mind is, is the ability. If I, if I had a superpower, it would be to be able to help people see who they really are, that our true nature is love. Nice. That, and, that's so, you know, that, man, I was expecting an egocentric answer and you just flipped it right around and I was like, man. <laughs> Now I feel bad about wanting more superpowers than one. <laughs> I, 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 and I really though. mean that. I mean, yeah, it, I, I think if we all knew the truth about who we, who we are in our essence, which is, which is love, um, uh, that would solve a lot of problems. Yeah. So if there was one thing I could do, that would be it. Nice. And what was the second one? Uh, what is your superpower? Um, I, I think, I think primarily just loving people, you know, I think that, I mean, and not that that's always easy and not that right. that's, you know, that's always something that shows up first. But ultimately it's, it's being able to see that deeper, that deeper per person and in, in, in everyone else. Amazing. I mean, I'd say that's true. So thank yeah, you. That's for great. That. Thank you. Great for question, being Steve. Awesome All right, so questions. before we end any last gems of knowledge you want to drop on the listeners yeah you know i i, I always you know i, I always love quotes mm -hmm. and um you know one of the quotes that always comes to mind when i'm when i'm doing interviews or whatever the quote by wayne dyer and you know wayne dyer yes yep you know great 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 writer great speaker um but he said he said you know when when you change the way you look at things, the things you look at change. And that is miraculous. Yeah. So when you change the way you look at stuff, including yourself and life, others, then the things you look at, they change. I have a great example of that. When I change the way I perceive dishes, I actually enjoy doing <laughs> the dishes now. It's actually See? weird. I went to living proof. A mindfulness seminar and everything about practicing mindfulness and even the stuff we don't like. And it trans, like I do the dishes. I'm like, Hey, let me spend 10 minutes. It's good. I don't have to worry about it anymore. And yeah. I actually enjoy that's, doing that. So, that, But that's so true, Steve, right? It, it, about dishes, about anything, you know, if we, if we change the way we look at it, then what we're looking at transforms. It's powerful that's, stuff. That's good. Well, Rob, thank you very much for coming. Hey, on. Thank you, Steve. It's always an honor. Hey, an honor to talk to you too, Steve. You do a great job, man. Thank you for taking the time to listen to our podcast. If you or someone you know would like to be on the podcast, please outreach to us at info at org. If you want to learn more about the Promethean Project or if you would like to donate to our cause, you can reach us at thepromethianproject.org. If you really do enjoy this podcast, please share with your friends. Please like our posts on social media and Instagram and on 
Facebook. And please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or any podcast app that you like to listen to. Again, thank you for taking a listen. And remember that the most important step is always the next one.